In the construction business and can't find what you need, Quality Supply and Tool has served Hoosiers for over a quarter of a century. Tom Hawk is the branch manager of the Indy location on South Harding Street. We've always been big on keeping our shelves fully stocked of inventory of industrial-grade tools, concrete, masonry products, as well as the necessary accessories to help get the job done. You don't have it, you can't sell it. Our experience allows us to help with getting the pros as well as the weekend pro taken care of. Quality Supply and Tool also has locations in Bloomington, Lafayette, and Jeffersonville to help you think outside the box store. Only the best run here at the Indianapolis 500. Mario, who do you feel you'll have to beat in this year's race? People like uh, A.J. Foyt and uh, Bobby Unser, for instance. Stand by for the checkered flag. Absolutely incredible. Danny Sullivan spun in front of Mario Andretti. A.J. has done it. Beyond the Bricks with Jay Query and Mike Thompson. Brought to you by Quality Supply and Tool. Think outside the box. Store on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Greetings. Good evening. It is May in Indianapolis. And I hope last night you left out the cookies by the chimney because that's what it feels like. It is a civic holiday for a month-long celebration of the heritage not only of this city and what the Indianapolis Motor Speedway means, but also the history, the heritage of the Indianapolis 500-mile race. My name is Jake Query, joined by Mike Thompson. And Mike, it's that time of year where we get to talk about the stories beyond just the Indianapolis 500. That's why we call it Beyond the Bricks. But it is once again a tremendous pleasure and a privilege to be able to sit down each and every night here at 8 o'clock on 93.5, 107.5 The Fan and talk about those things that are so dear to the two of us and those who give us the pleasure of being able to talk about it as well. We're going to have a lot of fun over the course of the next month. Oh, absolutely. It's it's fun for me every year when... You know, you, you have a countdown almost every year like I did it when I was a kid. You know, I, you counted down to the month of May and, it, you know, I feel the same way as you did just now talking about putting out the cookies. I mean, it's just, you know, something special about when the calendar turns to May, isn't it? You know, it's I think and I often say this, Mike, there are certain things that are, I think are rooted in nostalgia and sports is certainly one of those. I think for a lot of people sports just the teams you root for the things you're passionate about for many people i'm not saying all but for a lot of people i think that sports represent a gateway back to simpler times more fun times oftentimes memories of people who have passed quite frankly Um, i think a lot of people will tell you that their favorite baseball or football or basketball team is that that their uncle introduced them to or their dad introduced them to or they played on a little league team or their mom is from the city where that team's from and whatever it may be. And when you watch sports, you're in constant pursuit of the joy and kind of the innocence you got from the pleasure from sports when you were a kid. And when it comes to the Indianapolis 500, I think you combine that with the weather turning quite frankly i think mike for so many people you know you you now are living uh, not in indiana but you're in a northern state and a northern climate you grew up in the state of ohio so you know what it's like to have to go through the doldrums and the gray and the cold of winter and then suddenly all of a sudden like freshly freshly mowed grass windows opening up and the sounds of cars off in the distance i think it awakens for a lot of people that sake of nostalgia Oh, absolutely. I, I think it's it is definitely different than the feeling you get in in February with Daytona. I mean, it's 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 not the same thing because as you said, with the weather, 
you know, it's the kickoff of summer. It's, you know, it's the, the kickoff of those, uh, those summer weekends and things like that. Uh, whereas, you know, Daytona, Daytona 500 falls in the middle, of, you're still in the middle of winter. And so there's still that doldrum of at the end of the day, uh, the Daytona 500 is over. It's going to be 15 degrees at night, you know? So <laughs> right. it, it definitely is, it is a different situation when the month of May comes around. I agree hundred percent. Well, before we begin with the topic for tonight in this, the kickoff to the month of May on Beyond the Bricks, let's set the scene a little bit for those that are new to the program, and we certainly welcome you if you are, and thank you for tuning in, uh, about the two of us. We'll begin with, uh, I'll simply talk about one of my favorite subjects, which is me. Um, my name is Jake Query, and I do the morning show, Kevin and Query, on 93.5107.5 The Fan, this radio station here in Indianapolis, and in addition to that, since 2007, in varying capacities, I have been a part of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway Radio Network, which of course is also IndyCar Radio because we do the play-by-play for each and every IndyCar race throughout the course of the season. But the crown jewel of that, of course, is the Indianapolis 500 broadcast. And in that capacity, I'm in turn three of that broadcast. Nick Yeoman is in turn number one. Michael Young is in turn number two. Once they pass me in turn three, I throw it to Chris Denary in turn number four. He kind of resets the scene or continues the coverage of that particular lap by throwing it back to our chief announcer, who is Mark Janes, in the media center along the main straightaway, and then we recycle and do it all again. So that is my, as a native of Indianapolis, I guess, role and how I landed in this spot doing this program along with Mike. And Mike, you're a guy with, um, people don't know this, and I think they'd be probably not surprised to learn it. Uh, You live in an 86,000-square-foot house, and 85,200 of those square feet is 500 memorabilia and audio archives, correct? Um, I wish that was the case. In fact, I'm (laughs) actually moving in two weeks, and I'm moving to a little bit bigger place, and and I'll have a little bit bigger place for some of my archives and memorabilia, which will be nice. But, uh, yeah, I wish I had 86,000 square feet. I wish I had 8,000 square feet at this point. But, uh, yeah, um, you know, the archives uh, and the memorabilia I have definitely takes up a lot of room. And your background, you have obviously worked – within sports media in different capacities and then as well you've been closely involved with the kind of the historical archives or factoids of the indianapolis motor speedway yeah i uh, you know i worked in television i've worked in television and radio and i've been you know fortunate to work with uh you know wibc um you know in a freelance capacity even after i left uh wibc as a full-time employee i still do the heroes of the 500 show every year which is really exciting to get to keep to doing that every year and so uh but i worked in television and radio for you know more than 30 years and and i've you know i've always been kind of connected to the history of the sport um I briefly worked at the uh, about for about uh, four and a half years. I worked at the facility in the infield. I like to call it, um, and you know, I've I've always had a, a passion for the history. And you know, uh, you know, my mentor, my hero is 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 the person who you know started the show that we succeeded, Donald Davidson, obviously, and and uh, you know, honored to be in the slot time slot that he used to hold. And uh, you know, I mean, Donald's like a father to me. I mean, I. Uh, not a week goes by that I don't talk to Donald still, you know, two, three, four or five times uh, a week. Sometimes it's four times a day, uh, you know, just, you know, when we just talk and enjoy that time. And and so, 
uh, you know, it's really, really a lot of fun uh, to have that connection still with with Donald, even though uh, even though Donald's retired, I'll still pick up the phone and I'll say, uh, hey, Donald, I got a quick question about Floyd Davis. I want to run by and and uh, lucky that he'll still take my calls about those. things. And there and it, and this is a good thing. It's never a quick answer, which is the delight in all of it. Right. Because you not only get oh, yeah. the answer of what you're asking, but then that part what, into what, other deeper answers. And one of my favorite parts about when I used to work with Donald would be I'd be sitting at my desk and Donald would come and he'd sit down and he'd start to tell a story. And the story, you know, you know, Donald telling a story, it'd be like two or three minutes into the story. And then he'd look at me and he'd say, do you have time for this story? And I'm thinking, do I have time for this story? (laughs) Of course I have time for the story. I've got, you know, as much time as you want to tell. Anytime you want to tell me a story, Donald, I've got time for a story, you know. So um, he still he'll still do that occasionally on the phone. He'll say, uh um, you know, am I keeping you from something? No, <laughs> I've, I've got as much time as you have for me, Donald. Well, I'll tell you what, telling stories and telling some of the stories from yesteryear about the Indianapolis 500 and the Indianapolis Motor Speedway is the continued goal of this program beyond the bricks. We thank those of you who are tuning in and let's begin and get things underway with the month of May with a really good topic, Mike. And you and I spoke about a week ago or so to kind of get an idea of what we wanted to do. And you came up with an absolutely fantastic idea to kick things off. And that is, I think we talk so much, Mike, about, and for good reason, and understandably so, and we probably will do so over the course of the month. But we talk lots of stories about Parnelli Jones and Al Unser and A.J. Foyt and Mario Andretti and Rick Mears and all of the legends. But sometimes we, and I'm not saying you and I, intentionally by any stretch but i think aside from glossing over statistics or the name of a car we lose sight of keeping alive the legacies of the people that were the first to go around the indianapolis motor speedway and help create the legend of the international sweepstakes becoming the indianapolis 500 and by that mike i mean a look at some of the early winners from over a century ago at IMS. Yeah, and what's what's neat for me is we've got we're lucky to have some of these people on tape. You know, it's it's really exciting to me that we have uh, you know, we're about to talk about Ray Haroon and some of these guys but but you think about the fact that we have interviews with Ray Haroon and we have Ralph De Palma and you know, some of these guys Tommy Milton, you know, these guys are on tape. Uh, you know, you know, saved in perpetuity for us. And so, you know, that's really exciting because, uh, you know, I, I'd love to have, you know, some of that stuff's out there, but, the, you know, how, how often we, I'd love to be able to have, you know, Nap Lajaway or, you know, Addie Joss is one of Addie Joss is like one of my baseball heroes. I'd love to have a sound recording of Addie Joss I could listen to, you know, so we're lucky that we've got some of these, you know, great winners of the past that we can listen to. And I, I think it's important you know, to, to not forget about the early winners and things like that. So when you and I were talking, I thought, you know, let's, let's focus on a few of the early winners for, uh, you know, what we we're definitely going to be talking about Johnny Rutherford and Gordy John Cock and some of those guys this month, but let's focus on some of the early winners too. So we'll begin in Spartansburg, Pennsylvania, back in 1879, January 12th, as a matter of fact, that's when Ray Haroon was born. And of course, if you're talking about 1879, you're talking about before the automobile. But that's not to say that as a young person that Ray Haroon was not automatically fascinated by the automobile. As a matter of fact, Mike, 
as you know, I think a lot of people might believe that back in those days, you know, guys grew up saying, I want to be a race car driver like they would today. Well, you couldn't back then because when Ray Haroon was a young boy, that wasn't even a possibility. But as the vehicle and the automobile got introduced to the American culture, Ray Haroon, Mike, was one of those that was dedicated to not only trying to develop better ways to advance the automobile, but also himself, Mike, to display it in terms of his ability to drive it in display and almost like a showing off type purpose. Yeah. What's, what's interesting about Ray Haroon is, uh, you know, some people may not remember he had to be coaxed into racing in the first, you know, what we know as the Indianapolis 500. Now um, he, you know, he had retired, he had stopped racing uh, at that point. And so, you know, he had to be coaxed back into racing at that point to race in what was, was be known as the now uh, international 500 mile sweepstakes. But he was an engineer uh, for Nordic and Mar- Marmon Company, and he basically was, you know, he was happy doing that. He, you know, he was, he was done driving as a competitive driver already in his career. He had won some races at the Speedway, and you know, in, in 1909, and and you know, he had he had had the career he already wanted at that point, and said, you know, I'm done. And then they they kind of coaxed him back into doing it. And then he, you know, went out obviously and and won the first of what we now know as the Indianapolis 500, and and then promptly said, okay, now I'm really done. I'm not doing it again. Uh, but you know, Ray Haroon's a really interesting interesting person. Um, I just I just wrote an article for uh, I, I do some freelance writing for Automobilia uh, Resource Magazine, and you know, he's Ray Haroon's an interesting person. I mean, obviously, not only just because of the fact that he developed what we what we believe was the first rear view mirror used on a on a passenger car but you know he had his own briefly had his own car company i mean he started a car company uh, you know haroon you know motor cars uh, you know he had his own car company briefly so i mean ray haroon was a really interesting character and a character who later in life um you know what one of the things donald always points out about the indianapolis 500 was in 1911 they didn't know if there was going to be one, five, 10, or 150 of these things. So when you won it, you know, you won the race, but, it, you know, nobody knew it was going to be the Indianapolis 500 that we know today, the spectacle that it is, the, the great, you know, sporting event that it is. So really, it wasn't until the 1950s or so that really Ray Haroon started getting noticed. Uh, I just actually talked to someone for this article, a person I know. Uh, he got Ray Haroon's autograph in 1961, and not that many people knew who he, you know that was who it was. Uh, and he was fortunate enough to say, "Oh, that's Ray Haroon as a, as a boy," and he was like 13 years old in 1961 and got Ray Haroon's autograph in person. But not he wasn't mobbed by any. You know, you think today, you know, think about that today. If somehow, you know, th- you could think about the fact that the first Indianapolis 500 winner is at the Speedway. Uh, obviously, that's not possible because of his age, but I mean, he'd be mobbed by autograph seekers, right? Um, you know, in 1961, Ray Haroon, you know, is an elderly gentleman, and and one or two people noticed him and, and had him sign things, but uh, he wasn't mobbed or anything like that. But he started getting more and more recognition um, in the 50s and 60s, especially and especially in 1961 on the anniversary year. That's when he really started getting more and more recognition. Yeah, as a matter of fact, it was in that year, and we've discussed this in 
uh, past episodes of Beyond the Bricks when Ray Haroon made a television appearance on I've Got a Secret in 1961, right after A.J. Foyt had won his first Indianapolis 500-mile race. And the group of panelists had to determine what the two men had in common, the young, good-looking Texan and A.J. Foyt, and the older gentleman that was sitting next to him. Ray Haroon at that time would have been in his early 80s. And, of course, the answer was that A.J. Foyt had just won the 50th variation of the race where Ray Haroon had won the first. It didn't take long for the panel to kind of narrow it down. But I remember Ray Haroon saying in that interview on that program, when he was asked the speed that he ran in the initial Indianapolis 500, and he said, well, you know, it's not like these hot shots today out on the road. It's probably it was it's probably just as safe to race today as it is be on the road today with some of these hot rod racers running around, and everybody kind of laughed. But at that time, I remember Donald telling me at one time that Ray Haroon was just starting to become Mike instead of Ray Haroon, the little professor of the Marmon Corporation, he was becoming known as the man that had won the first Indianapolis 500. His racing career essentially began in 1903, thereabouts, in terms in an official capacity. Ray Haroon was an only child, but that's not to say that he wasn't keen to knowing how to play with others because when he first entered a big-time race, it was a land race from Chicago to New York in 1903 to see uh, who could get from one place to the next the fastest. And he combined, actually, with four other drivers and made that journey in a record of 76 hours. That was in September of 1903. So we're talking about literally uh, just about just under eight years before the first running of the Indianapolis 500-mile race. The story of the first race, I think most of you know it by now. Ray Haroon, as Mike had mentioned, had the rearview mirror, which means that a riding mechanic wasn't necessary for him to have an extra set of eyes while he was out on the racetrack itself. He did not start at the front of the field back when the entries were listed by Mike. The entries back in those days, there wasn't necessarily bump day and pole day and those kinds of things. It simply went, did it not, by how long it took you to turn your letter in, right? Yeah, he was. Uh, they waited actually. Marmon waited to turn theirs in because they had the the Type Thirty Two car, and they wanted number thirty two in the race. So they waited to be the thirty second entry so they could have car number thirty two. Uh, it was a little bit different time then, you know. So uh, yeah, turning in your entry was a little different. Uh, different back then and then it is now today he had run different races before indianapolis notably in 1910 he had won a race in atlanta he also won a 200 mile race uh at the indianapolis motor speedway as a matter of fact um also before the indianapolis 500 international sweepstakes as it was known then back when they would have precursor races johnny aiken won a lot of those ray haroon did as well he of course went on to win in the marmon wasp in 1911 at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. And as you had talked about, uh, let's set the scene here, Mike, for some of the audio that we have of Ray Haroon. And if I'm not mistaken, this is Ray Haroon uh, talking with, am I correct, Sid Collins? That's correct. So this is Sid with Ray Haroon, and this is uh, some rare audio that comes from the 1958 Indianapolis 500. Charlie, we have two guests we'd like for the folks nationwide to meet right now. One is our first winner of the 500-mile race in 1911, Mr. Ray Haroon. We've had him on every year that he's been down here, and I don't think you've missed many races since then, have you, Ray? Not very many. I've been to most all of them. Well, since 75 miles an hour was your fastest speed, I suppose you felt like you were going about as fast as the boys are these days, didn't you? Well, you felt probably like we were going faster. 
Ray, how does it feel to go in the Speedway Museum and take a look at that car sitting there so bright and shiny right now? Well, it's, uh, I'd like to take it out and plan for a <laughs> Put on the track here today? For see what? how slow it would be. Would it run now? Oh, yeah. Seriously, sure. would it run? Is it in good enough shape to run? Why, well, it sure is. All those cars in the museum fans, when you visit Indianapolis, you take a look at our Speedway Museum at the main gate. You'll see Ray Haroon's 1911 Mom and Wasp and all the other cars right through Maury Rose Maserati. Thank you, Mr. Haroon. Thank you, Our thanks. things in Saginaw with your company up there. Good. Nice to see you. Sid seemed very concerned with how things were going with the company up in Saginaw. By the way, that car that they're talking about, the Marmon Wasp, and Sid Collins mentioning it, still on display at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway Museum. They were talking about that all the way back in 1958. Of course, six hours, 42 minutes, eight seconds was the length of time for that very first victory for Ray Haroon. Mike, one of the things that I think probably not many people realize is the fact that, as I had mentioned, he won a precursor race at Indianapolis. He is most known for winning the first 500-mile race at Indianapolis, but back then there were more than just the 500-mile race that took place, and Ray Haroon stockpiled eight different wins. Mike, that's the second highest total in IMS history. Yeah, Ray Haroon was was a great race car driver, and, and what's interesting about that little soundbite that we just played with Sid, where Sid's asking, "Does did the car run still?" A couple of years later, Ray Haroon actually drove it on the track at the Speedway on race day. So in 1961, as part of the celebration of the 50th anniversary, uh, Ray Haroon got behind the wheel, and there's actually uh, some video of of that Ray Haroon driving this driving the Marmon Wasp on race day in 1961 so uh, that was a really special moment uh, for ray haroon to to get to be back behind the wheel of the marmon wasp in, in 1961 but yeah i mean you know ray haroon was a was a great race car driver i mean as you said he he won in atlanta he won you know he won at indianapolis and uh before the 500 and you know he 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 probably Again, he probably considered himself more of an engineer than he did a race car driver, but he was a very good race car driver. Well, he continued his career as an engineer after his racing days were completed, continuing to work for Marmon and then starting his own automobile company, the Haroon Motor Car Company, later Lincoln Products, he worked for as well. And Ray Haroon, again, as we talked about, it was an older man, as an older man, that perhaps he became known as the winner of the first Indianapolis 500-mile race. He passed away, by the way, did Ray Haroon, on January 19th of 1968 at the age of 89 in Anderson, Indiana, just about 45 minutes or so north of where we are right now in downtown Indianapolis. Ray Haroon's final resting place is still in Anderson and, of course, and always will be in Anderson for that matter. And uh, Mark Jaynes and I, a few years ago, on the first Saturday in May, made a drive up to Anderson and did what I think is only appropriate when paying respects to an Indianapolis 500 winner, left just a little token of milk on the resting place for Ray Haroon. When we come back, we will continue taking a look back at some of those voices that perhaps you've never heard, even though their voice still lingers over the Indianapolis Motor Speedway in terms of their legacy of greatness and their place in IMS history. We'll get to others when we come back to Beyond the Bricks here on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Beyond the Bricks here on 93.5 107.5 The Fan. 
Jake Quarry along with Mike Thompson talking about some of the winners from the early years of the Indianapolis 500-mile race. We just talked about Ray Haroon. And, of course, in 1911, back in those days, you've heard Donald Davidson tell this story certainly many times, the thing that was unique was the fact that to win the Indianapolis International Sweepstakes, it was as it was known in the early years, was a huge win for the automobile manufacturers, all of which were trying to utilize the new grounds in Indianapolis as the showcase towards what their company was doing to advance and perfect the new fledgling invention of the automobile. And Marmon received a lot of positive press and newspaper writings and conversation after that win in 1911, so much so that they decided there really isn't much to gain by coming back in 1912. So the Marmon Company elected not to run the race in 1912, but national with Joe Dawson, who, by the way, was from Indianapolis, Indiana. Joe Dawson winning the race in 1912. Then in 1913, once national decided to do the same as Marmon, follow suit and not return to try to defend its win, Carl Fisher, who was, of course, the creator of this event in the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, sent out the feelers to Europe to let people know about the great race that was taking place in the Midwest of the United States, and all of a sudden, European teams got involved. That included Peugeot, who won the race in 1913 with Jules Gu, the first international race winner. And then, Mike, interestingly enough, you have an international winner in 1913, and then guess what? A year later, all of a sudden, a big-time international event, and once again, it is somebody from the international waters that is able to run up front. Yeah, I mean, 1913, you have Gu wins, and then uh, 14, Rene Thomas wins. And then in 15, uh, finally, after after coming so close uh, in 1912, finally, uh, Ralph De Palma gets his long-awaited victory. So that 1912 race of which you're talking about, when Joe Dawson won, as we had mentioned, Ralph De Palma was the dominant driver throughout the course of that race. Probably, Mike, one of the more famous moments, legendary tales in IMS history would be that of De Palma. And perhaps it gets embellished over the course of the years, but nonetheless, the image of poor Ralph De Palma trying to push his car while suddenly Joe Dawson takes the lead at the very end of the race. Dawson led only the last two laps of the 1912 Indianapolis 500, but they were the two that mattered most. And all of a sudden, we were introduced to perhaps as a foreshadowing of what would happen at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway in terms of long-term legacies, a driver from Italy, who would slow down late in the race. Ralph De Palma led for 196 laps of the 1912 race, but Joe Dawson got the win. But then, Mike, everything came together for him, and he was able to get that win, as you talked about, in 1915. Yeah, I mean, Ralph De Palma, though, you have to remember how dominant Ralph De Palma was. Like you said, he, he could have won in 1912, should have won in 1912, had, had he not broken down so late. Did win in 1915. He could have won again in 1919, 20, and 21. I mean, he led 612 laps, which was the record from from 1925 until Al Unser broke the record by winning the the 500 in 1987. That's how long Ralph De Palma's record lasted. And what I think is interesting about the lap leaders, this is something I was going to bring up to you uh, the other day when we spoke on the phone. I find it interesting that now – with Scott Dixon taking over the the lap leader record last year, 
three of the top four leaders now in laps led at the Indianapolis 500 are all one-time winners. So Scott Dixon's now the lap, the all-time lap leader with 665. Then Al Unser with he is a four-time winner, obviously. And then Ralph De Palma and then Mario Andretti. So three of the top four lap leaders in Indianapolis 500 history all won the race one time. And like Mario Andretti, Ralph De Palma, as I'd mentioned, was born in Italy. Matter of fact, December 19th of 1882, Ralph De Palma was born. And like Mario Andretti, his family came to the United States when he was a boy. As a matter of fact, it would have been in the year that he turned 11 years old that Ralph De Palma became a citizen, or not a citizen, but a resident of the United States. And worked again racing motorcycles and different forms of automobiles on dirt tracks and did so around the time that the Indianapolis Motor Speedway was being built and eventually would become the preeminent racetrack in the world. He won in 1911 at the Milwaukee Mile in the same year that the Indianapolis 500, of course, was getting underway. And then that moment that we talked about in 1912. The reality is, though, Mike, what I'm getting at here is this is not like Ray Haroon. We might think of Ralph De Palma simply as a guy that won the Indianapolis 500-mile race, but in reality... He had accomplishments, perhaps as much, if not more so, than anybody of his particular era of competitive racing and winning automobile races in a variety of different places before winning in Indianapolis. Oh, yeah. And this was the guy. I mean, uh, uh, this was the the guy of the early years. Uh, when, when you talk about the, the number one guy, um, you know, and that's evolved over the years, who's the, the top guy? You know, in the early years, this was the top guy, uh, Ralph De Palma. Absolutely. There's no question about it. So Ralph De Palma won the Indianapolis 500 in the year of 1915, as we talked about. As a matter of fact, he did so in well under six hours. Five hours, 33 minutes, 55 seconds at an average speed of 89.840 in a Mercedes for Ralph De Palma. And it was years later. As a matter of fact, it was 38 years after that when Ralph De Palma talked about um, – Perhaps that victory, take me through, Mike, what we're going to hear now from the 1915 champion. Well, this is kind of a fun uh, soundbite we're going to hear with Ralph De Palma because Sid is is throwing down to uh, one of one of his uh, co-workers on the Speedway radio network, and he's expecting a, a, a report from the Speedway hospital, kind of an innocuous report about what's going on uh, with the, the heat of the day you know, what's happening at the Speedway Hospital. Instead, he gets a bit of a surprise because instead of getting that report, uh, the reporter finds Ralph De Palma. And so you get a you get an interview with one of the all-time greats of racing instead. And Sid, you can tell, is a little bit surprised by this uh, interview. So it's a little bit of a, of a fun clip here. This is how it sounded in 1953. All right, Charlie, Bill Froch is wandering about these 433 acres with his portable team recorder to bring out points of interest to us. As a message from the first aid tent, which is looks as though it might be rather busy today. Let's bring Bill in. And now here in the pit area, we're about set to talk with one of the all-time racing greats, a gentleman whose name is synonymous with this Indianapolis 500-mile race. And I know that you fans throughout the nation know him quite well for his exploits here and have probably heard him speak. It's Ralph DePalma, and Ralph, how do you feel today? I'm fine indeed, Bill. What kind of a feeling do you have now? Of course, you're out of racing, active racing. What kind of a feeling do you have here before the start of the race? Well, naturally, I'm no different than I was when I was racing. I felt quite comfortable. 
racing did not make me nervous. I was not nervous before the race and not nervous at the night. Somehow or another, everything was just right for me. Therefore, it didn't bother my health or nervous system at all. Now, of course, you started here in the first 500-mile race, right? Well, the first 500 was in 1911, but I was here in 1909, young man. <laughs> of course, you would not remember. No, I but In 1909, we had three-day contests, 5, 10, 15, and 20 miles, and 50-mile race the first day, and 50 to 100 miles the second day, and the third day, the Wheeler Shebler Trophy, 300 miles. And, of course, you know that was stopped at 220 miles when Charlie Murs went through the fence here and into the creek, and they hurt some people, so they finally stopped the 300 miles at 220. I was running second at the time, and they stopped the race at 220, so uh, they did not give purses those days what did they unless do? you finished oh. the entire 300-mile race. And that was a pretty good struggle in those days. It was quite a struggle, and incidentally, the average was only 56 miles per hour. But uh, that was really that traveling. Was traveling some on this very rough track those days, just just ordinary um, crushed rock, you know, and dirt and oil. Well, tell me, do you really remember that race that you didn't finish more than the one that you actually won here or not? Or is that just something everybody well, it, brings up? It's hard to forget the uh, one I did not finish in 1912 because everyone liked to talk about it. That's right. Everyone reads about it. There have been more lines written, uh, written about the race that I did not win than I did on the one that I did win in 1915. Of course, they call it hard luck. Well, I often say that I don't think it was hard luck. It's just breaks of the game. I feel that I'm most fortunate. Man and shoe leather, here I am at about 70 years old in good health, so I think I'm very fortunate. At what age were you, Ralph, when you actually quit active participation? 52 years old. And I heard you say the other day that you didn't actually get rid of those cars until several years later, right? I retired in 34, and I held on to the cars for two years after that and sold them to Henry Banks. I uh, thought the urge to drive would come back, but it did not. After 27 years of it, I was really through with racing. I mean by that because the boys were driving too fast. Thank you very much, Bill. We must have gotten the signals crossed. We had word from you that we were going to pick up some information from the first day, Tim. But, of course, we're always glad to hear from such greats as Uncle Ralph De Palma, one of the greatest drivers who ever lived. Well, I mean, let's just scold the guy for not getting the information from the 10, right? All he did was end up with Ralph De Palma in a clip that would be played some 70 years later and still enjoyed by people who enjoy the Indianapolis 500-mile race. Ralph De Palma, of course... In his retirement, you talked about there, one of the things we should have mentioned is the fact that when he won the race, he was not yet officially an American citizen. That came in 1920. So technically speaking, he was the third non-American to win the Indianapolis 500-mile race. But Ralph De Palma became a citizen in 1920. Once his racing career was completed, he did enjoy different ventures. As a matter of fact, he was involved uh, with cameo appearances in some Hollywood films. He also got into the world of business. I think you see a lot of people, Mike, including Ralph De Palma back in those days, they might have gotten out of the race car in terms of racing, but they were still involved in the early, uh, if you will, manufacturing and design and engineering of the automobile. Oh, absolutely. A lot of them were involved 
for for many years involved in some way in the automotive industry it was a it was a great avenue for for them to stay involved and and things like that so yeah that was that was typical in those days de palma in 1923 established the de palma manufacturing company in detroit one of those companies we talked about that helped build cars and engines for both not only the automobile but the early advent of aircraft as well ralph de palma passed away in california in 1956 at the age of 73 of cancer but certainly one of the legendary names of the indianapolis 500 mile race and as we talked about back in those early days there were plenty of historic names if you will i mean after after ralph de palma you had dario resta winning in 1916 howdy wilcox of course after a layoff due to world war one won in 1919 and then gaston chevrolet in 1920 it was then in 1921 that one of the names i think quite frankly mike if you look at their contribution to the early years and the early statistics of the indianapolis 500 that quite frankly i have always felt kind of gets overlooked a little bit is the guy that won the race in 1921 and i'm talking about tommy milton oh i think there's no question uh that that unfortunately tommy milton's uh you know the record he put up he's he's a bit overshadowed i mean but but you have to consider the fact that that he was the first two-time winner um, and unfortunately, for some reason, he's just not uh, revered in some of the same ways as some of the other drivers, I think. But, uh, you know, Tommy Milton was a really important figure at, at the Speedway because not only was he the first two-time winner, but he ended up being the chief steward uh, for the Speedway. Uh, you know, I mean, that was a, a you know, critical role still to this day. The chief steward is obviously a critical role. Uh, but but Tommy Milton, the first two-time winner, I mean, he was the chief steward of the Speedway. So, a uh, very important figure in the history of the 500. Tommy Milton was born in Minnesota, as a matter of fact, in 1893. And by the time he was a young man, was running different racetracks, primarily around the Midwest, truth be told, is where he did a lot of his racing. Uh, and then towards the turn of or the end of the decade of the 1910s, he began racing and winning a lot of races. As a matter of fact, five of the nine championship races that were included over the course of the race in 1919, including the International Sweepstakes Race in Sheepshead Bay, New York. And then he decided to try his luck at Indianapolis at the Indianapolis 500-mile race Tommy Milton did. And, you know, back in those days, you have to figure, Mike, one of the things that I think we overlook is the fact that it's not like you were just hopping on a plane and deciding to go from one race to the next. It had to be fairly arduous to put together everything that went into racing from one race to the next and just preparing cars if there was any sort of an issue. It's not like you just immediately ran to the Delara factory on Main Street and picked up another car. So running and doing kind of the, the, the if you will, journey across the springs and summers running races had to have been a pretty laborious process, I would imagine. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, and for Tommy Milton, let's consider the fact that Tommy Milton today would not be allowed to drive um, because he he had no sight whatsoever in his right eye. Um, he, he was totally blind in his right eye and he had some uh, partial vision problems in his left eye, but he was still allowed under the rules of the time to drive. But I mean, today, I can't imagine he would be allowed to drive. So he, he was able to overcome that. And, and still have the amazing career he did. But, uh, but uh, you know, that was something that he had to overcome, the fact that he, you know, Tommy Milton won the Indianapolis 500 twice with 100% blindness in his right eye. 
Tommy Milton, in his first outing in Indianapolis in 1919, started 31st. He finished in the 25th position, although only turning in 50 laps. That shows you about, obviously, the attrition that would take place back in those days. He had an issue with a rod that knocked him out of the race. Then a year later, in 1920, he came back to start 11th and what we would call a podium. Finishing in third, he was running at the completion of the race. And then in 1921, Tommy Milton broke through, if you will, in five hours, 34 minutes, and 44 seconds at an average speed of 89.621 miles an hour, and Tommy Milton wins the Indianapolis 500. But as you talked about, Mike, in one of the great trivia questions, and one that seems to trip up a lot of people, after Jimmy Murphy won the race in 1922, Tommy Milton came back in 1923 with another win, becoming the first multiple winner, Mike, in Indianapolis history. Yeah, and 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 Milton and and Murphy had a bit of a it was a bit of sad situation because they were very very close at one point. Then they had a bit of a feud, um, and then after after Murphy's uh, sad uh, passing, that ended the feud. Obviously, but uh, you know Milton ended up you know escorting the body back. Uh, because you know, then I think he then realized, you know, what are we, what were we feuding about this whole time? But uh, it was really sad because they were very close at one point, and then they drifted apart in this feud. Um, but Milton, you know, I think one of the things I think it's it's interesting. The more I've been thinking about this as we've been talking, is you know, I think s- some of the reasons maybe that some of these guys get a little bit lost in the shuffle is a guy like Milton. I mean, Milton won the race twice, but he had a fairly short career. I mean, he only had eight starts in the 500. And I think I think we've gotten so used to some now, uh, you know, a guy like, you know, Tony Kanaan driving 20 times in the 500 and, and Elio's long career and, and obviously A.J. Foyt's incredible long career and the Unser's. And I think we start thinking about some of these guys who, who've raced, you know, 15, 16, 20 times, 25 times, you know. Um, you know, that sometimes some of the drivers who – who were standout drivers, but maybe had a much shorter career. That might be some reason why they don't get as as much acclaim as maybe as as they should. So as we talked about, Tommy Milton would come back to become a two-time winner of the Indianapolis 500, the first multiple winner. And we're going to hear from Tommy Milton coming up on Wednesday. I'll explain what I mean by that and what we have planned for tomorrow. When we come back and put a bow tie on this, episode number one for the month of May of Beyond the Bricks. This is Beyond the Bricks, brought to you by Quality Supply and Tool. Think outside the box. Store on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Back for a final time on Beyond the Bricks. And I got to be honest, that Delta Force theme, every year I feel like I got to grab the cooler right now and start packing it together to get ready to go out with my dad to the Southeast Vista and watch cars go around the track. Jake Query here along with Mike Thompson. Fun look tonight, taking a look back at hearing from Ray Haroon, also hearing from Ralph DePama. We talked about Tommy Milton, and as I mentioned, we will play some audio from Tommy Milton and talk more about some of the early winners coming up on Wednesday because tomorrow's show is a special one. Taking a look back at one of the all-time legendary people at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway who never actually got and raced in a car. We'll explain that and take a look back tomorrow. We look forward to it on Beyond the Bricks.